What's your favourite food? Mine's meat. Uh, if it's an animal that is dead, I think it's great. You know, what's your favourite movie? Mine's Lawrence of Arabia. What's your favourite football team? AFL, Brisbane Lions. What's your favourite song? At the moment, I think mine is probably Oswabe Fanchula from Puccini's uh, Love or End, but that's just a community sounding fancy. Uh, so, you know, like, you could actually answer all of those questions and still it's pretty shallow, isn't it? Still, you wouldn't really know who you are. So, so who are you and how do we work that out? Maybe it's better to think not just about ourselves in isolation. Maybe it's better to think about who you know, about who you love, about who's your family, and even about who you hate. See, those things might actually give us a deeper understanding, a, a greater window into who you really are. It's important to understand who you are. And maybe, like I say, it's about, actually about our, not about so much about our likes, but about our links, our loves, our loyalty, and our lifestyle. That's what we're going to think about today. That's what we think about this morning, whether you're here in the room or you're there back in Brisbane, sorry about that, uh, or somewhere around the world. Uh, if you're from Fiji this morning, I'll put it up, which is great. Okay, we're going to start by talking about knowing God. Okay, start by talking about knowing God. You, we need to talk about that because we talked a little bit about it yesterday, and Peter already gave us a summary of yesterday's talk, that was better than the talk itself. Uh, and we talked yesterday about how we come to know God through Jesus. We know that already. We know God through Jesus, through a gift, a wonderful gift of grace, by faith. But how do we know that we know God? Like, that's how you know God, but how do you know that you actually know God? What should we look for in trying to understand if we know that we know God? Well, here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, John addresses that very issue. Notice that chapter 2, verse 3, we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep his commands. John says we can actually be confident that we know God. We can know that we know God. We can know that we have that relationship if we obey him. That's a key indicator. Why obedience? Well, because if God is our God, we should live like he's our God. If Jesus is our Lord, we should live like he's Lord. Therefore, obey. That sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Our attitude should be, if God says it, I do it. So John writes, there in verse 4, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. See, I've heard people say that I know God, I, I feel him when I walk in the bush, or I, I, I sense him when I sit at the beach. But those same people are not interested in obedience at all. Not interested in obeying God. Now we can know God. God invites us into a relationship with himself. We can belong to God and belonging leads to obeying. Obedience is the natural fruit of belonging to God, of knowing God. Knowing God, belonging to God leads to obedience. To know God is to love God. To love God is to obey God. That's where John gets to, I think, in verse 5, isn't it? But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in that person. 
Please notice, the obedience we're talking about here is not the grumpy, slavish compliance like we have to do with the stupid COVID stuff. You know, I, I wear a mask, not because I love it, but because I have to. Well, actually, probably because it's protecting you and from deadly diseases and stuff, but in some ways, it's actually because I, I can't have to, it's the regulations. But knowing God is different to that, isn't it? Obeying God is different to that, isn't it? Because it's about knowing the loving God, knowing the love of God, and loving God as God lo God's love works in us. Obedience as an expression of love. Love in action. Love being fruitful. Love made complete, as John says in verse 5. Okay, John. So it's all about obedience, loving obedience. But do you have anything particular in mind there, John? Well, he tells us there at the end of verse 5, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So we can know that we have life, we belong to God, we know God, we know his love. How? To live like Jesus. And actually Jesus lived a life of obedience driven by love, didn't he? That was Jesus' life. So we're supposed to imitate that, imitate him. Now, that's still a very broad requirement. So now John focuses on one particular command. And this particular command actually echoes throughout the book. And he picks it up in verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Now, John is talking here about something they had from the very start, the very beginning of God living with his people, from the foundations of the people of God. He's talking about the command to love others, to love each other, but he won't actually mention it explicitly for another couple of verses. It's a command to love others that uh, was there in the Old Testament, there from the beginning. This one, Leviticus 19, verse 18. Love your neighbour as yourself. Sorry, I'm standing the way. Love your neighbour as yourself. What God gave to his people while they were still on Mount Sinai. See, love has always been part of the life of God's people because God has always loved his people. And God has always called on his people to join in his love by sharing his love, that is, by loving each other. So, this love is an old command. That's very clear, isn't it? So, what's verse 8 talking about? Yet, I'm writing you a new command. Huh? How can the command be a new one if it's an old one? Well, the clue is that verse 8 says, its truth is seen, notice this, the next part of the verse, its truth is seen in him and in you. So what's he talking about? I think he's talking about this one. John 13, uh, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That command, to love one another. Now, by calling it a new command, Jesus is not changing the content, the contents of the old command, love your neighbour. He's talking about the change in degree. 
as I've loved you. Because Jesus loves at a whole new level, at a whole new depth, in a whole new uh, richness. Because we know that his love is self-sacrificial love to the point of death. Love one another to that degree, to that depth. You can see the truth of Jesus' love. And you should see that in the believers as well. Notice that verse 8. Yet I'm writing to you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. That's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? This new command, this new love, this new depth of love. You see Jesus' love reflected in the love of his people. Even if imperfectly, we can see it. That's what we expect to see, because actually that's what Jesus expected to see. That's what Peter picked up on this morning. Why this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. It's incredible, isn't it? The world doesn't know you're a disciple if you uh, believe a lot of theology. The world doesn't know you're a disciple if you go to lots of services. The world knows you're a believer if you love other believers. Love is the key. Very, theology is very important, very important. Talked about yesterday, very important. Join the church, very important. Great, important thing to do. But love is the key, isn't it? This is how the world will know. When, and when the old slash new command to love each other is obeyed, we shine. We shine the light of Jesus' love into the world that is full of darkness. And it shows that his love will triumph. Notice that in the second half of verse 8. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What's the true light that's already shining? That's you. That's you. As you reflect the true light of God's love of Jesus' life as you love one another. So let me stop and ask you, how are you going to obey God? That is, at obeying His commands, that is, at His command to love one another. How are you going at loving one another? CPE Church, how's your love life? Is love the true life of this church? I'm not asking, are you a welcoming church, are you a friendly church? Are you a loving church? Deeply loving. Sacrificially loving one another. I'm not asking, how well is Icky loving you? What are we paying for anyway? No. How well are you loving one another? One another. That's what Jesus says. It's a very important question because as we've seen in verse 8, now we'll see in verses 9 to 11, love and light are deeply connected. So John's going to drill down on that for the next few verses. Notice what he does. He says in verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light, that sounds a lot like chapter 1 actually, but hates a brother and sister is still in the darkness. Now we know that every family has conflicts, okay, that's okay. You know, things sometimes get heated, they get a bit out of hand from time to time, but that's not what John's talking about. Here when John talks about hating a brother or sister, he's talking about that kind of active, constant, unrepentant hostility toward another believer. 
It's a bit like yesterday, you know, that person who lives in deliberate, active, unrepentant sin. You know, they, they walk in darkness. Well, so does the person who hates, in this sense, another believer. They may say they're light, but they're walking in darkness. Instead, verse 10, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there's nothing in them to make them stumble. Notice that? The key is to not hate the brother and sister. And the solution to that is not to not hate. It's to love, to do something very active. To love one another. We have to be told to do this because, of course, we don't easily or naturally drift into love any more than we easily or naturally drift into holiness or discipline or any of those other things. Now we need to decide to love one another. Decide to obey God and His Word in loving each other. And it's love, notice, not like. It's love, not kind of gravitate toward or kind of find a real synergy with. It's love, not tolerate. Because this love includes loving unlovely people. And no offence to anyone here, but churches always have lots of unlovely people in in them, don't they? Which is a wonderful act of God's grace. Love, deep care for, acceptance of, serving with devotion, affection, not just cold discipline, but affection toward one another. See, I think that LGBTIQ plus community is wrong. Because it says you can't choose who you love. Now you can. And you must. You're to love one another. That's what you're supposed to do. To love one another. And this is such, so it cuts so strongly against the grain of, of our society, doesn't it? Because our society is a you-do-you society. Yet you worry about you, I'll worry about me, which means I don't have to care about you. Great system, I love it. Great idea. Not a Christian idea. At all, but not even remotely. No, we love each other, care for each other, concerned about each other, even sometimes love each other in tough ways. Saying the hard things that we actually don't want to hear, but we need to hear. Being more concerned about being helpful than being popular. John tells us to love one another because... Well, loving people can be tiring. People can be annoying and frustrating and hurtful. That's why there are so many churches that have active splits in the churches. Churches become two churches or more sometimes because people just hate each other. Or even if they stay together, there's a virtual split because the people sitting on that side don't actually talk to the people sitting on that side. They're at war, at cold war with each other. They hate each other. Now, you might think, of course, after yesterday's uh, wonderful day of camp together, we heard those you know, stories of grace that were just brilliant, uh, really encouraging, and, uh, and having the fun time out on the grass and the meals together, laughing together, goofy games last night, all that kind of stuff. You might think, that, that, this is never going to happen at CPE. We're never going to hate each other. Yeah, don't be so naive. No, it, it quickly happens. Care quickly goes cold and turns to conflict. 
and people actively, genuinely, perseveringly hate each other. Please don't give in to that. Please guard your hearts individually and as a church against that. So listening to what John says in verse 11. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness and walks around in the darkness like they're blind. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Darkness has taken hold. Now be in the habit, be in the practice, grow the culture and discipline of loving each other. And if even just a little conflict grows up, please work hard at working it through. Don't let hate grow. Work hard to make love grow. John starts the next section of our passage by talking about family identity family identity as believers. Talking about which family we belong to. He says in chapter 2 verse 12, I am writing to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Now if you're a literary person, uh, you'll kind of pick up, your eye will be drawn to the words I'm writing and because they're in verse 12. And you say, uh -huh, it sounds like John's telling us his reason for writing this book. But actually, I think the key words are you and your. See, the focus is on the ones to whom John is writing. He's not just saying, I'm writing because, and why he writes generally. He's saying, I'm writing to you. You in particular. You bunch of people. Why? Because they're God's children. Because of what God has done in their lives. See, he wants to encourage them, to remind them, help them to understand and know their true identity as God's people, God's children. So before we jump into the details, let's reflect on that. Do you know who you are as God's people? Do you know who you are as God's children? Do you know what you have because of Jesus? Are you clear on your identity? Do you know who you are? Let's look at it again. Verse 12. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. John, the apostle, by now an older man, calls his readers dear children. He does it often actually throughout the letter, partly because he's an older bloke, but also to remind them, who they are in Christ. They are God's dear children, treasured by God. You can tell that because of what God has done for them. Notice that, verse 12. I'm writing you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, Jesus' name. Our sins are forgiven through Jesus, through his glorious death on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve. So our relationship with God is restored and we can rightly know we are the children of the Father, the children of God. There's nothing we have to make up for. Nothing we have to pay back. 
God has freely and fully forgiven us through the costly death of Jesus. And so we are God's children, God's forgiven children. That's who you are. And verse 13 says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Now, I don't actually think this is a special message for the fathers only and not for others, uh, as opposed to younger men or pe other people like that. It seems that John is using a stylish way of talking about what God has given all believers, both old and young, with lots of rhythm and repetition. And you kind of see that in these verses. I think maybe in his old age, John really got into a bit of rap and hip-hop stuff. Uh, so you might even see if you can uh, turn some of these verses into a, a nice rap later on, but not right now, not right now, concentrate. <laughs> so what does John say about believers? Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him. Get that? You know him who is from the beginning. You know Jesus who was described as the one who is from the beginning in chapter 1 verse 1. We know Christ. We're his disciples. He has reached out to us and drawn us in to be his. And he even in John's gospel calls his disciples his friends. Incredibly. What a friend we have in Jesus. But it's not just in our relationship with Jesus that, that is changed when we become believers. Now we may not have thought of it this way before, but even our relationship with the devil has changed. See, look at that in verse 13, the second half of the verse. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the devil. See, we used to share the devil's goals and values and priorities. That is, live for ourselves. We used to have the same relationship with God as, as he has. That is, an enemy awaiting judgment. We were in our hearts and minds and destinies the children of the devil. But graciously, gloriously, all that changed. God got hold of us and turned us around. He forgave us our sins. He turned us to himself and adopted us as his own. And God did all of that through Jesus. Our overcoming the evil one is God's work in making us his children through Jesus. So we are God's forgiven children who know Christ and have rejected Satan. Did you get all that? Now, Professor John doesn't think you quite did, so he's going to tell you that again, okay? Verse 14. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. We know Jesus, and so we know God, since knowing Jesus is the way to know God, the way, the truth, and the life. And not just that we know about God, you know, he's all-powerful and he's eternal. We know God. We're in a relationship with him. We know his love. That is, we know it personally and have responded to his love by accepting his love. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus is in the, in the middle of a debate with the Pharisees. And Jesus says this to um, the Pharisees. John 5, John 5, uh, 37 to 38 says, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, if you do not believe the one he sent. For people who truly know God listen to his voice. 
They take his word into their hearts. His word is, in that sense, in them. That's what John says in the second half of verse 14, isn't it? I write to you, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God, get this, lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Actually, if you put all of this stuff together, it sounds a lot like God's Old Testament promises of a new covenant, a new relationship. A bit of this, I'm sorry, I'm in the way of you. Uh, a bit of this, this is Jeremiah 31, uh, verse 33 to 34. I'll read it for you. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law, that is his word, in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they'll all know me. All God's people will know him. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. See, all of these new covenant promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Fulfilled for us in Jesus. We receive it all when we trust in Jesus. This is who we are in Jesus. And what we have in Jesus. This is our identity in and through Christ. We are God's children whose sins have been forgiven, who know Jesus, who know the Father, who have God's word living in us and who've overcome the devil. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is your identity. This is who you are. And so... In this next section of our passage, John challenges us. We are God's children, so be God's children. He's not saying do things in order to become God's children. No, he's saying you are God's children already, so do what children do. Imitate their parents. Live like the children of God. Have the loyalties of the children of God. For John knows that there is an invisible and deadly disease all around us. John knows there is something we must be aware of, that we must protect ourselves from catching, that we must immunise ourselves against, because if we catch it, if it takes hold of us, it will mean our end. And John is not talking about COVID-19. He's talking about love. But it's not the love you'd expect. It's the love that God hates. So you have a look at verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Don't love the world. That's the disease. That's the deadly virus, the love of the world. Don't love the world. But that raises a whole bunch of questions for us, doesn't it? I mean, what's the most famous verse in the whole Bible? John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world. So, John, what are you talking about? Have you forgotten what you wrote? 
It's because God's love in John 3.16 is God's holy love to save the world. But here in 1 John chapter 2, he's talking about the unholy love that wants to join the world. Join it in its sin. That's a very different love. Others may say, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. Don't love the world or anything in the world? That sounds kind of anti-environment. I mean, surely we should care for the world since it's God's good gift to us and we should manage it faithfully and well, not hatefully and wastefully. And yes, we should care for the physical world, this uh, beautiful world God has created and given to us to manage. It's good to enjoy flowers and food and forests and football with thankfulness in our heart to God. But in John's Gospel and in John's letters, the word world or the world is not usually about the physical environment. It's usually about the spiritual environment. That is, the world is about the culture of rebellious humanity. It's actually about the culture, the, the world against God, an anti-God community, a society that rejects God. Which makes John 3.16 even stronger when you think about it, doesn't it? For God so loved the society that rejected him and rebelled against him. That's amazing, isn't it? But here in 1 John chapter 2, John is saying, don't join the evil alliance that ignores God. We're not to love anything that's opposed to God. In fact, love of the world is incompatible with love for the Father. Did you notice that in verse 15? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. You can't love the world and the Father. You can't do both. One or the other, not both. It's because these loyalties, these belongings run so deep. John himself picked up on this in John chapter 15 verse 19. John 15, 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Or if you want a bit of a break from John, I'll give you a bit of Matthew, just to freshen you up. <laughs> Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot love two things, we're told. Married men, you cannot bring a second woman home and say, I still love you, I just want to love her as well. You cannot do that. It's an exclusive devotion. So what is the world like? This world that we cannot and must not love. Verse 16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of the flesh, that is the cravings we feel. The, the craving that tells us, do what you want. The lust of the eyes, you know, what we see. That says to us, get what you want, which is basic greed and idolatry, isn't it? The pride of life, that is the boasting of what we have and what we've done. You know, our strengths, our beauty, our knowledge, our achievements. 
It's in in what we've done and what we do rather than what God has done and what He does and what He's made us to be. This way of thinking, this set of values doesn't come from God, it's from the world. See, the world is trying to get you to fall in love, trying to seduce you. And you can see it all around us. See, it sells us such beautiful lives. See, the world says to us, follow your heart. Doesn't that that sound wonderful? Doesn't that sound beautiful and sincere? Follow your heart. What does Jesus say? Follow me. Very different, isn't it? Seductive lie. The world says, enjoy yourself, express yourself. That sounds so good and artistic and great. And Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross. A life of sacrifice and service. The world says, believe in yourself. And that's so affirming, isn't it? So empowering. (laughs) And Jesus says, believe in me. The seductive lies of the world, they sound so good. The world is trying to seduce us. You know, like, you know that, that, the story of that uh, Narcissus, that famous guy who looked into the magic pool, saw his reflection and fell in love with himself? That's what the world does. It says, look at yourself. Aren't you wonderful? It's all about you. You can have and do everything. And Narcissus falls in the pool and drowns. The world seduces us, promising, promising satisfaction and delivering destruction. Verse 17. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. The world will fade away. Like a luxury house that burns down in a fire. Like the most glorious sandcastle that gets swept away by the incoming tide. The world and its desires pass away. Rebellious humanity with its sinful appetites will not last. It is headed for eternal death. But God's people, God's children, you are headed for eternal life. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. That's our destiny. Eternal life with God. For everyone who chooses God over the world, who does not love the world but loves the Father, who by grace give their highest loyalty to Him, eternal life with God. If you want to continue in faith, you need to reject the love of the world. There are two rivalries for our love, our affection, our loyalty. And you must choose. And you must live out that choice. Who are you? Who are you? If you trust in Jesus, know who you are. Know your identity. Know that you are someone who knows God. You are someone who loves his children. 
And because you know God and because you love His children, it shows that you're one of His children. One of His children who have been forgiven. One of His children who know Jesus. One of His children who loves God instead of the world. One of His children who has God's Word living in you. One of His children who has overcome the devil. Who has rejected the world. So live as God's dear children. Give him your loyalty. Live out that loyalty. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Love the Father. Love his children. Love his Son who has loved us. See, who are you? It's all about who you know. It's all about who you love. It's all about who your family is. And it's all about who you hate. May we ever know God. May we ever love His children, live as His family and reject the world until we see Him face to face in His beautiful new world. I pray that we will. So let's pray. Our dear Father, we thank you so much that you've given us your Son, and so we can know you through Jesus, your Son. We thank you so much that we can be your children because you adopt us as your own. And so help us to love your other children, to love each other. Help us to not love but reject the world and all of its desires. Help us to deep in our hearts know we are your children and deep in our lives live as your children. Please do this great work we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.